Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s. And Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey. We created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years and the Sakara life organic meal delivery program is based on a whole food plant rich diet that includes fresh nutrient dense and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XO courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do now onto the episode. Hi everyone. Welcome back to courageous wellness. It is our final episode of 2021. <laughs> the year that Ali and I were just talking off recording really feels like such a blur an exciting blur. There's been so much incredible things that have happened this year in our personal life, in our professional life. Um, we love this podcast. We love that you're all here along this journey. Um, but yeah, what a blink of an eye, right? Like it really feels like this year went by so fast. And, um, if you're new here, we're so happy to have you. If you aren't, then, you know, we launched our Patreon page in March, which was so exciting. And we've had so many incredible interviews this year. What are some yeah. of your favorites, Allie? Who are some of your favorite guests who have been Ooh, on the I show? I definitely, I definitely remember it was, it was January, but, um, the one with Victoria Albina stands out. We did one all about breaking codependency mm -hmm. and she's a great resource in that world. Yeah. She's amazing. I, I absolutely recommend people checking out her work. Um, 
And what else? We had Dr. Will Cole return. It was great to see him. Um, how about I you? Loved my, I think like one of my all-time favorite episodes was this year too, which is, um, I think it was our first episode of the year in 2021, which was with Brittany Floyd Mayo, yeah. also known as Trap Yoga Bay. And she's just like such an empowering, incredible woman. And her story is just one of like such a story of courage and, um, she's amazing. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please listen to it. Check I agree. It Victoria Albina was Eleanor Cleghorn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Her book she was too. wonderful. Yeah. Her I book bought- unwell women. If anybody yeah. hasn't read it, we highly recommend it. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it was cool this year, which this isn't an episode from this year, but in 2020 we had on, um, at the time, the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, who came on the show to talk all about how he reversed his type two diabetes with a plant-based diet and was um, yeah. also talking about um, his new book at the time, all about like plant-based eating. Um, and I loved that episode. I actually thought it was such an incredible conversation. And he became the mayor of New York this year, which was yeah. just so cool to see. And again, we're not New York. It's, you know, not about politics. I just think like it was a really cool episode. And I just think it's neat that he has a focus on nutrition and, and yeah. in the community. And he yeah, did do a lot of nutrition. Of yeah. I was going to say, or yeah. And he'll be, he'll be, um, inaugurated this, this winter, 2022. yeah, 2022. but, um, he did do a lot of nutrition initiatives in Brooklyn too, which I appreciate. Um, yeah. So that's, that is cool. And, yeah. um, yeah, we had so many good, we had so many good guests. We could just go on and on. Um, but we have a great episode today as well. Yes. So yes. So as we, we get into get it, yeah. And I just here. want anybody to know, cause I know this week can be like a really weird week. I know all the time there's like a lot of memes, um, like memes that float around this week. That's like, what day is it? Like that in between from like 2021 to 2022. So if you're in that space, we're here for you. We have so many episodes from this year and before and yeah, just take care of yourself this week. That's kind of what I think our plan is, is to rest, relax and recoup for 2022. So yeah, let's get into the episode and get excited. Oh, we also have a very exciting January of episodes for you. So look out for that. Sorry. Now we can get into the episode. Take it away, Allie. All right. So today we have a conversation with award-winning mind-body researcher, scientist, and clinical psychologist, Dr. Shamini Jan. Her book, Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science and the Future of Health, was released this past September. And here she explores how the integration of cutting-edge science with alternative medicine and spiritual wisdom can really speed healing. Dr. Jan is also the founder and CEO of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, a collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, health practitioners, educators, and artists to help lead humanity to heal ourselves. Her pioneering research in meditation, biofield healing, and psychoneuroimmunology has been featured in Time, US News, and World Report, and CNN. We have a fascinating conversation on her new book and how we can all heal ourselves. Enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. 
The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. And Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How's that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with my anxiety, especially during the holiday season. And the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. Today, we wanted to talk about Ned's brand new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. We recently got our hands on a bottle and could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. The one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you want to try the new de-stress blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. For the holidays, Courageous Wellness listeners get 20% off Ned products with code CWPODCAST. And when you spend more than $150, Ned is throwing in free gifts with every order. So visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash CW podcast to get 20% off plus free gifts with orders over $150. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. Whether you are a Patreon member in our nutrition community or a regular listener of the podcast, you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for months and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am now devoted to taking seed every morning before food and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. 
The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten-free, and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. In addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet, which is pretty important. Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use Courageous15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes or the link tree on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, To get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal background, your personal journey, and how that led you to the work that you're currently doing? Well, you bet. You know, so I grew up in the South. I'm from an East Indian family. My parents moved to the U.S. about 60 years ago. They were actually the first Indians in my town. So By the time I was born, you know, there were more Indian families, but not a ton. And I found myself going to school, enjoying my time and my friendship with many Baptist Christians. And I came from a very different spiritual tradition called Jainism. So kind of right away, I noticed that not all of us thought alike, not all of us believed the same things, but we could get along. You know, that was that was one of the things that that I really appreciated about my childhood. I even went to church with my friends on occasion and they would, you know, kind of learn about the things that we did in our spiritual culture. So that was really great. But growing up here in the West, you know, in Western culture, coming from an East Indian tradition, I noticed that there were as I went further in my studies, I noticed that there were some things that we talked about and we studied and some things that we didn't. So while, you know, most of my friends were going to church and we learned about science and we learned about physiology, you know, we kind of grew up more. I started realizing that when we study health and we explore what health means, we had kind of made this divide. Actually, at that time, you know, when I was growing up, we had made a lot of divides. We really separated the mind and body and the emotions. So when I was growing up, we didn't even believe that emotions could really affect our health. And it wasn't until later that we started discovering that, wow, our emotions can really affect our health. They affect our immunity. And this whole field of what's called psychoneuroimmunology that I grew up in and got my PhD in, it began to take fruit actually in the late 70s and early 80s. So that was great because I started to see, well, there is some discussion now taking place around the nature of our minds, our emotions, and even our spirits on our health. But for the most part, growing up in academia, as I did, we didn't really talk about that. It wasn't really safe to talk about. In fact, most of the professors that I met had these interests in consciousness, and they had these interests in trying to understand how our consciousness could affect our health, 
but it didn't feel safe for them to talk about with other professors. And often, if they were doing their studies, they were kind of doing them under the radar, so to speak. So, you know, that was what it was like for me kind of growing up as a kid thinking, well, I see that, you know, I come from a really deep spiritual tradition that talks about the power of things like meditation and yoga on health. Of course, now, you know, it's kind of mainstream in Western, in the Western world, but in the 70s and 80s, it really wasn't. And, I, you know, and I see all my friends that believe in the power of prayer and I begin wondering, well, why do we have to separate these worlds so much that people lead spiritual lives, they lead energetic lives that, you know, they tend to their emotions. Could it not be that it would be really worth studying those aspects to help us understand how we heal? Absolutely. Thank you for that, that um, background. And I think this is so fascinating. I find myself becoming more and more fascinated by this concept because I never understood. I mean, in, in some obvious ways, sometimes, you know, um, spiritual spirituality or, or religion and science don't always, um, necessarily support each other, but in a lot of ways, it's sometimes like different language. And I didn't always understand why those two things were like so diametrically opposed when oftentimes there's so much, um, if you study like ancient sort of traditions, philosophies, re even religious, some religious practices, um, that oftentimes science supports a lot of those things. And it's maybe it's like you speak to maybe in just the way than like the Western medicine world in the last, you know, century or whatever, it became disconnected from that. But, um, I never understood fully this, like, it has to be like science or spirituality, but that those two things actually aren't maybe different ways to approach the same, same things like same. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I would say that they're both languages, right? There's yeah. languages of experience and there's languages of science and both are valid. So what I find really fascinating is now we've expanded our scientific toolkit so that it's not really an either or it's a both and. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we can look at the physiology of a spiritual experience. Okay. So, and that's hard science. That's hard science. So we can look at it in terms of what people rate them on, on validated questionnaires, for example, but we can also tap their own experience in their own words. We can look at interventions um, for people, for example, who receive spiritual or energy healing. And we can talk more about that. As you know, that's, that's been a deep part of the work that I've done is really doing these randomized controlled clinical trials, looking at things like energy healing and some people call spiritual healing, right? On really hard physiological outcomes. So the, the really the point I think is that we're all whole human beings, right? We have, we have a sense of wholeness and healing is actually a return to wholeness. So for scientists that are interested in understanding what health is, we've got to look at the whole picture. That means that we have to look at a person's spiritual landscape, their social landscape, their interpersonal relationships, you know, their physiology for sure, and their diet and what they eat, our emotional health, all of these things play a huge role in our state of wellness and health. And we're learning when we look at all of those different factors, that when we can up-level 
our wellness, we can uplevel our health in really meaningful ways. And that includes preventing disease, which we really need to do. Yeah, thank you. I, again, just <laughs> to echo, not to sound like a broken record, but this is so, so fascinating. And that concept of, right, like returning to, to being whole as a way to heal ourselves and um, this concept of healing ourselves with the fusion of science and Eastern and Western. And you mentioned energy healing, right? And can we unpack that a little bit? Because um, can you talk to us about your studies with energy healing and the way you have been able to see the validity in that in terms of practitioners and, and, and with healing? You bet. And, you know, as you can imagine, for the mainstream scientific world, Energy healing is one of those things that either, you know, to put it lightly, either mystifies people or they just shake their heads and say, this can't be real. Okay. And why? Because there's no stretching, there's no needle. We're not necessarily always looking at brain changes. So, yet healing traditions from all over the world for thousands of years have used what we call energy healing. Now, in the mainstream, scientific world, we're now using this term called biofield. And a lot of people may be unfamiliar with that term. So I'll just unpack it for a moment. Biofields are fields of energy and information that guide our health. And not all of these are so mysterious, really, because we look at the biofield of our hearts, that is, we take an EKG and we measure the heart rhythms off of our hearts, and it tells us something about our heart health. We do the same thing with the brain. We measure fields of energy and information off of the brain with electrodes. And that tells us about the state of our brain health and even to some level, our state of consciousness. So those are biofields. We also use things like low level laser therapy and even sound to help treat patients. And this is mainstream work that we're doing where we're putting in energy and information. We're actually putting in light and sound to do things like dissolve plaques in Alzheimer's disease and treat Parkinson's. So that's part of the biofield. So energy healing is part of the biofield also. Those are the subtle aspects that have been described by millennia by cultures all over the world. So it includes things like prana, chi, and things like that. Well, the understanding of the biofield is around in Tibetan medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, native medicine. And we have those practices really within those traditions, but we also have these modern practices like Reiki, healing touch, pranic healing and others, right? So the studies that I have done have looked at those kinds of more modern traditions like healing touch, for example, and even laying on of hands, um, which comes from a Christian spiritualist tradition. And in a nutshell, what we're finding is that these energy healing practices have real effects on patients. I did a systematic review um, and about it was about 10 years ago, and I'd love to update that systematic review because there are even more studies from when I looked at them at that time. But what we found then, and I won't bore you with the details, this is all published data and it can be you know available on my website for anyone who wants to look at the scientific papers. We looked at over 66 studies, clinical studies of these energy healing therapies. And across the board, what we found was that on the whole, they showed significant promise for reducing pain, for reducing anxiety. And there were just at that time, some initial effects on cancer, 
which we've seen even more readily in the last several years. And I wanna tell you a little bit about those studies because they're really fascinating. So one was a study that I conducted at UC San Diego. It was a randomized placebo controlled trial because I was very interested in whether energy healing really could be explained by what we call placebo effects. And if we have time, we can talk about placebo because it's a super fascinating subject. But you know, I had three groups. One received energy healing, one received what we call mock healing where skeptical scientists were trained in the hand positions. And so they were trained to kind of interact with the patients the same way. All the sessions were done in silence. So to an outside observer, it kind of looked the same. And then we had what we call a weightless control group who kind of went on and, and the patients that we were studying were patients with cancer related fatigue. Now, many of your listeners have probably been impacted by cancer, either pretty much all of us have, whether it's us or someone we know, someone we're close to, a family member. And what many of us might know from interacting with ourselves or with our friends or family is that fatigue is the number one complaint among cancer patients and survivors. So it's a massive problem. It often follows people well after treatment. Right now, the data suggests that for about a third of patients, who go through cancer treatment, surgery, radiation, you know, whatever treatment they're going through. Even up to 10 years past that treatment, they suffer from debilitating levels of fatigue. And modern medicine hasn't really found an answer for this. So we were trying to help solve this problem. And I went to my healing teachers at the time and I said, do you think that energy healing could help with this fatigue? I mean, it kind of feels like there might be a connection here. And they said, yes, because what's happening is their vital energy is depleted. You, you could say their chi or their prana is depleted from going through the anxiety of the you know, diagnosis, the treatments, you know, the medications, the change in diet, the change in lifestyle. I mean, it's a lot on the system, right? So they said, if we do this type of energy healing treatment, we'll be able to reduce any residual toxicity in the body and stimulate the vital energy flow. Okay, so that's all great, you know, that the healers are saying that, but what's the data actually say? So when we actually did the study, what we found was over a month's time, these patients got two sessions a week for four weeks. They had dramatic, not just statistically significant, but clinically significant reductions in fatigue. They started out with extremely high levels of fatigue, and they ended with levels of fatigue that you would expect for someone walking down the street. Okay, so those were the women in the energy healing group. The women in the mock healing group also reduced, though, because they were coming in twice a week. They were laying on a table. They were interacting with really friendly staff. They were being touched on their fully clothed bodies, right? They dropped, but not as much. They dropped to about levels of what we would think um, we would see based on the data that we have for women who are about to go through chemotherapy. So it was still a drop and it was significant, but it wasn't as much. But what really floored me was that when I looked at the physiology, it was only the women in the energy healing group that showed a normalization of cortisol rhythms throughout the day. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, okay, how do I explain this? And being a scientist, I thought, is this real? Like, I need to reanalyze this data. I need to look at it and see if there are any placebo variables, like connection with the therapist, belief in receiving healing. What about clinical variables, like whether they had chemotherapy before or body mass index, because we know those can affect cortisol rhythms. So I put every variable that seemed like it could be connected with these rhythms in the analysis, and I could not make the effect go away. 
So then I'm left with this question, which is, how is this happening? How is energy healing getting under the skin and facilitating all these changes in the body? So my colleague, Susan Lukendorf at the University of Iowa, meanwhile, was doing her own study, a randomized control trial, looking at healing touch compared to relaxation and a usual control group for women undergoing cervical cancer and ovarian cancer, chemotherapy and radiation. So these were women that were actually getting active, you know, allopathic treatment, and they were either randomized to get healing touch, which is an energy therapy or relaxation or just their usual care. And Susan similarly found a reduction in depression that was most marked, that is strongest for the women in the healing touch group. But she also found a physiology effect. She found that it was only the women in the healing touch group, not the relaxation group, that showed a maintenance of this natural killer cell cytotoxicity. So that's basically a maintenance of immune function that you want to have while you're going through chemotherapy and radiation. Usually you'll go through chemo and radiation and you'll see a decline in natural killer cell activity. And in her case, with the healing touch group, it stayed. So those are the human studies. And then there's some fascinating ones with animals as well, down to the cellular level, down to cytokines, which are immune transmitters. I detail all of this in my book, Healing Ourselves, because there's, it's incredible when you actually start looking at the data that there are these connections that energy healing which is part of biofield treatment is having massive effects on our healing process. And I mean, for me, it's like, well, what does that say (laughs) about our healing power? Right. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I actually got like goosebumps when you talked about the cortisol being affected because, you know, basically you're saying that you're seeing evidence in our, in our physiology and our hormone um, production and response, uh, based on this, which is pretty incredible. Um, and yeah, I, it's so interesting. I was listening as we're having this conversation, I'm actually like halfway through an episode, um, of the doctor's pharmacy, which is Dr. Mark Hyman's podcast with, um, uh, two folks that have just written a book, I believe the title of the book is called inflamed and yeah, it's Dr. Rupa Maria and Raj Patel are the authors of it. And so I'm like halfway through this podcast and basically they're, they're sort of discussing similarly connected to what you are. You're talking about it on the individual, um, level, but even things like, this is a crazy, like big concept for one episode, but like colonial capitalist, uh, structures having direct, um, effect on our physical health, like chronic illness, all this stuff, uh, because of whether it's exposure to glyphosate or a river that was like received a dam at one point and the flow of the river started flowing in a different direction and completely disenfranchised, like a group of perhaps indigenous folks on that part of the land, like how these changes, whether it's, um, you know, a a toxin in that way, or it's a toxin like systemic racism, it still has detrimental effects on our overall health and showing, especially in the Western world, how chronic illness continues to increase and increase and increase. And so you bringing it down to like the individual level and, and sharing these studies with us, I think it's really fascinating. Um, and as someone who's had, who had cancer, I had cancer when I was 29 and, um, 
I absolutely feel, unfortunately for me, it was just a surgeries. I had three surgeries as a part of my treatment, but I didn't have to do extensive treatment, um, with chemo or anything like that. But even that where I had a part of my fascia removed, which I think a lot of Eastern modalities, uh, talk about the fascia layer being like your, um, like where the meridians, the energy fields like flow through the body, at least in acupuncture and in Chinese medicine. And I had a lot of sort of like health, weird health things kind of after the fact years, even after the fact. And, um, that's really interesting. That's really interesting, Allie. And, you know, I, I would like to touch upon this idea of colonialism and think about how that's affecting how we think about wellness and how we think about health. So as you mentioned, systematic racism and colonialism have really driven major health inequities. Okay, so we know that in all those ways that you described, right, and more, there are all these reasons why systematic oppression has created really not a level playing field for many black, indigenous and people of color. So we know that. What I find fascinating too is And maybe I'll back it up here with a little bit of a story, which is I remember when I was at the University of Arizona for a little time talking with, you know, a well-known professor there. And we were talking about these areas that I was interested in, like Ayurveda and energy healing, because I've been interested in this for a long time. And he said, well, Ayurveda and, you know, energy healing, you know, the chakras and, and, and all that, that's just primitive medicine. All that's just primitive medicine. And I remember being like, wow, okay, so this was again, you know, probably, I don't know, early 2000s before people started really becoming more aware of DEI and things like that, you know, and this was an older white male who was telling me this and I thought, whoa, you're so ignorant, you know, and I started realizing we have a major issue with monocultural ethnocentrism in behavioral medicine, in medicine in general. And so if we look at the cosmology that kind of underlies a lot of holistic and integrative approaches. They again come from many ancient traditions all over the world. There's not just one, right? But pretty much every ancient culture had this sense of cosmology that was deeply based in consciousness and interconnection. And that's what biofield science is leading us to. It's leading us back to that cosmology of interconnection because I'll break this down a little bit more, and I describe this pretty fully in my book, but where we are right now with what we call modern medicine here in the West with allopathy is this idea that my disease is separate from me, right? It's this invader. It's invaded me. I'm separate from it. I've got to take a medicine that's outside of me to help kill this invader that's in me. And if you look back at kind of like the history of even the way the immune system was described, it's, you know, it was very much like fight the pathogen, fight the invader, right? And so there's some truth to that. Like that's part of what our immune system is meant to do. But we've also learned that the immune system is a highly cooperative system. And now we realize that we have all of these bacteria in our bodies that are actually, quote, not us, that help us, right? So our whole way of looking at the body is changing. And when we look at things like the biofield, we realize that our consciousness can not only heal ourselves, it can heal another. Now, what does that say about our interconnection and the healing effects of our interconnection? So we have to kind of release this one way of thinking that is based in separatism and really driven by one culture, which is, you know, the colonialist kind of mentality and kind of doing away with all those other 
forms of medicine that existed well before allopathy. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Allopathic medicine, as you know, can be absolutely life-saving, right? But we don't have to throw one away to work with the other. I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense to do that. So, Yeah, no, we absolutely agree and and believe in this so strongly. And it is, it's so interesting because this is such like, it's such a fascinating conversation and topic, right? There's so many places I want to go. I'm like, what? I'm like, Erica, focus. Like, which one? Like, I have 80 million things I want to say right now because it's true. And we've even seen, you know, this year alone where it's like people are just Western medicine 100% or people are just like, you know, new age things 100%. And right. I think if you believe in energy healing, you're anti vaccine and, you exactly. know, all the dogma that people are trying to put on us. And we're just, again, we're whole human beings. You know, if we don't we need both. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we need both. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. I have been using their baking soda free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle aluminum free baking soda free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean aluminum free deodorant, I tried so many different brands and each and every time I was plagued with red itchy bumps under my arms on top of feeling not confident at all that I did not smell. Milk and honey not only never once gave me those pesky red bumps, but also passed the smell test, even after an intense spin and hit class. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. And for our local to Los Angeles listeners, Milk and Honey has the most amazing spa that just opened in Brentwood in West LA after being the go-to spa with multiple locations in Texas for so long. They offer facials, body treatments, massages, and so much more at their beautiful new space. I recently had a massage at the Brentwood location and it was a lovely experience. We are so happy that Milk and Honey Spas are now in LA. And of course, their online boutique is just the best if you aren't local. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. Their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring listeners and clients an all-access accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, 
patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual events, recipes, awesome giveaways, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month. To learn more and become a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. I think too, it's so interesting because everything you were saying, right? Like from that experience you had in Arizona, I'm sure, right? Like, like everything, right? Like energy healing and Reiki and even yoga, it it all becomes so whitewashed, right? Like once Mm -hmm. it becomes like, oh, this works or, oh, this is, um, luxurious or it it then becomes inaccessible to, um, (laughs) sometimes and oftentimes the, the groups that originated it, even we've discussed this in terms of ayahuasca and that type of healing as well. Right. It's just so, it's so interested it's so interesting and it's so complicated. And, and, you know, your book is titled healing ourselves, right? It's about healing ourselves. And we, you also mentioned, right. The power of the placebo effect and what that can teach us. And I'm just curious now too, as, as we're having all these realizations and conversations or through this conversation, how, how do we heal ourselves? Like for the listener listening to this podcast, for anybody who reads your book, how can we take the power of healing ourselves back? Because everything can be so expensive or inaccessible or just, it's very hard to be able to have Western medicine and Eastern medicine. It's hard to even navigate any of this. So I guess that's my question or that's where I want to go. And I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's beautiful. And I I want to touch upon the first part of what you said, you know, and I think what you're saying is we've got to democratize healing. Okay. We've got to democratize healing. That's number one. This is not for the elite. This does not have to be whitewashed. And, you know, I have, I, I make a joke actually in one of my talks that I gave for Deepak Chopra's sages and scientists where people were like, Hey, Shamini, Reiki, isn't that something you where you go to the spa to get your aura fluffed or something? You know, so it's very like trivializing. And actually, we can get into a whole discussion. I have my own philosophy on why these things have been trivialized. Um, and it has very much, you know, it, it also has to do with the exploration of uh, the wounded masculine and, you know, and the wounded feminine and the divine masculine and divine feminine. So we could go there some other time if you want. Um, But if we touch upon this idea of democratizing healing, there are a couple of things. Yes, absolutely. On the individual level, there are things we can do and will do. And our nonprofit, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, which I founded, is working very hard to help democratize healing. So I want to tell you a little bit about how we're doing that. There are two ways to do this. One is through healthcare and one is through self-care. Right. So we actually created a state of the art report on where we are with these energy healing and biofield modalities that anyone can use. And our goal here is to begin to democratize healing by placing these kinds of healing therapies in clinics all over the country, in hospitals where they belong, where people can actually utilize them, where healthcare providers can actually get reimbursed for them. 
you know, so when they're in the hospital, if they want to do healing touch or something that they can actually code for that and do it. Um, so, and, and I can tell you some pretty positive stories so far from our work. I had a healing practitioner friend write me once and say, please just quick, send me the data, send me the best studies on energy healing. And I said, you bet. And I sent it to him right away. And I said, well, what's that about? Cause I knew he was delivering healing therapies for veterans. And he said, thank you so much because, because I was able to show them that data and they realized there was an evidence base, they were able to give us a grant of $300,000 to expand our program for patients. So that's one way you democratize healing. And that's the work that our nonprofit does, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. The other way is self-care, like you said. Well, that's great. Well, what can I do in the here and now? So in my book, I basically synthesized the key aspects of self-healing that we can take with us at any time. And you don't have to actually learn energy healing to do it. You can if you want, but you have a biofield. You have an energy field. And actually, and this becomes really clear for people when they read the book, when you practice yoga, you practice meditation, when you practice creativity, when you practice just conscious communication, you have all these ways of being able to tap into your energy field, your biofield at any time and receive the benefits of connecting with your own energy. That's step one. So in my book, The Healing Keys, I go through specific steps. The first is called grounding, grounding for vitality. Grounding is about fundamentally understanding that we are creatures on this great earth and that we bioenergetically connect with the earth. So this is fact, not fiction. And there are several studies looking at the effects of grounding for our health. I've, I've given practices in the book, but essentially when we allow ourselves to come into nature with reverence and an openness, we can connect with the earth and begin to foster the flow of energy through our biofield to stimulate our vitality. The second part is to flow with our emotions and also ignite our creativity and that's actually huge for our healing process. The more that we can actually recognize our emotions as a wave that we surf um, and hopefully don't capsize from, the more we free up energy in our system for our healing and our health. When we look at the data from placebo, we learn a lot about how we can foster great healing intentions and sort of center ourselves in a practice by using things like ritual and expectation and even conditioning and relationship. And I break all of this down in the book as well. The other big healer for ourselves that we know from the data is connection. And you know, connection isn't really about how many podcast listeners we have, how many Facebook followers we have. It's not even about how many real friends we have. It's about the quality of that connection. That's what the data actually tells us. So when we allow ourselves to connect first with ourselves, then with a trusted friend or trusted network, even a pet, even a tree. And also for those of us who are open to this with our spiritual guidance, it can really up level our healing. I have meditations, you know, that I share that are on insight timer and also my website on how we really tap into the heart um, to really receive the benefits of connection in all these ways. And then the final step, which is probably the most challenging for most of us growing up in the world that we grow up in, is surrender. Because in the end, 
you have to sort of surrender the details, even if you connect with your desire, you know what you want, you have your desires for healing, you set your intentions, you connect to heal and you ask for support in the end, you have to basically release it because you have to release the conditioned mind. And so when you go through that process of surrender, you're ultimately saying, this is what I want, but I know I don't know everything. I'm going to let it go and see what comes. And sometimes what comes is even better than what we imagine. Thank you for sharing that. It, you know, it's interesting you speaking this way. It reminds me. So Erica and I actually share a spiritual practice. It's how we met each other, which is through a form of Buddhism where we chant. And I've been thinking about this lately, but then as I started to kind of, um, look at your book and, and I'm not as far into it as I'd like to be. So that's, I'm looking forward to getting through the whole thing. But as I started to look in that, I I've been really thinking about this, um, connection as you're sharing between the physical body and basically everything else (laughs) and, um, and how our biology and, and physiological responses are, are deeply connected to these other things. And I think I I saw an interview or conversation really between you and Deepak Chopra about this as well, talking about, um, cortisol responses and serotonin responses based on like telling, uh, someone that they like lost a bunch of money and then their stocks weren't affected. And I thought it was a really, a really good thing, but I bring it back to this, our Buddhist practice. Cause I was thinking about it the other day we chant and it literally chanting activates the vagus nerve, which, which taps you into your parasympathetic nervous system where you can have like a different physiological response than you would if you were in like a high stress response or in your, you know, activating the sympathetic nervous system. And so I just was thinking even like our spiritual practice on a daily basis Mm -hmm. does something for the body. Absolutely. And the power of sound. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a fellow sound sister. I actually came to this work through my singing practice because Mm -hmm. I've always been connected with sound and I actually teach, um, on the shift network and other places, mantra meditation practice as well. So I'm very deeply tied to that tradition and you'll appreciate this as fellow chanters that, um, there have been really some amazing studies looking at the effects of chanting. And one of the ones that I love is the study that was recently done at UC San Francisco, where they looked at Kirtan chanting. And they found, you know, probably not surprisingly to y'all, a tremendous effect on cell aging. You know, that mm-hmm. is the, the telomere effect. They found tremendous effects on telomerase for those who were practicing actual chanting of Kirtan. And these were people that weren't familiar with that practice before compared to just listening to music, right? So there is something about running sound through our bodies. We're actually running energy through our bodies in that way. And, and certainly, you know, you don't have to chant out loud. You don't even have to necessarily say mantras to to have these beneficial effects on your health centering prayer there needs to be more studies on centering prayer there aren't enough but there are many people who practice that dadiri is an aboriginal you know practice um, that is also about being in nature it's a spiritual practice so there's so many spiritual practices and you know here in the west we look at meditation we look at yoga we kind of try to dumb it down we look at one aspect of the practice or whatever but all of these practices are essentially spiritual practices they were meant to lead us back to our spirit 
And so for me personally, even with the biofield, I feel like that's where the real juice is because I talk about the biofield as a bridge to understand how consciousness affects the healing process. But if you ask any healer what they're doing, by the way, they don't like the term healer. They abhor it. Actually, they all say, Shamini, don't call us healers. We are healing facilitators because the person is doing their own healing. Yeah. Every single healing practitioner I've talked to has said the same thing, which is we are bringing this person back to their spirit, to their soul, to consciousness, to God, however they describe it, right? To their essential nature. That's where the healing takes place. And we work with the biofield in order to bring them back to their soul self. That it's so like, I needed to hear all of this today. So thank you so much for, for just exploring this because it is, it's, I, I think this last year, I guess this lot, these last two years, but it just feels like it's so hard to be a human (laughs) sometimes. And I think we just have gotten so far away from what it really means to be human. And these, I love that, that you gave so many tangible, tangible tips, but also just the way you describe everything. It just, it makes so much sense. And just like Ali, I'm so excited to really um, dive deeper into your book and finish reading it. And I just can't, I can't wait because um, thank you for writing it. Cause I think we all need, we all need this right now um, more than ever. So as we begin to wrap up, we always ask uh, three questions to all of our guests. And I'm so interested in the first one for you. But the first one we always ask is, what are some of your self-care practices? What are some of your non-negotiables when it comes to your own self-care? Thank you. Beautiful question. So singing, dancing, shaking my body to music. I have realized for me, because I do a lot of, you know, heady work, (laughs) getting into my body is really important. So some kind of physical activity and i do enjoy um surfing um although where i'm living right now i don't get to surf as much as i want to so dancing is starting to take its place um obviously meditation and my personal practice is mantra meditation but there's so many um wonderful practices there and then just making sure that at least there is one day a week that i do not open my computer that you know i really just take the time to be in nature be with my family cook, clean, you know, do whatever else needs to be done, but really just enjoy that sort of mental break away from, from, from work. Many of us work really hard. We have a lot of things going on. So that unplugging time and getting back into nature is really key. Thank you. Okay. So the second question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? It really means to stand in alignment with with your soul nature. I think that's really, truly what it is. Cause you can say, stand in your power, stand in, you know, speak your mind, you know, all these things are true, but I think we're all kind of tired of everyone speaking their mind <laughs> sometimes, you know, there's a lot of that going on. You know, Lynn Twist is a, is a wonderful teacher. She's written some really great books too. And um, I took a fundraising course from her for my nonprofit once called Fundraising from the Heart. And Lynn talked about taking a position versus taking a stand. Taking a position is a lot of what we're seeing right now. Everyone's got an opinion and they fortify it with the data that supplements their opinion. And we all take positions on certain things, right? But what Lynn said was taking a stand is actually 
standing so that you can see the entire picture. And it's an inclusive thing. So for me, being courageous, especially for us humans at this time, means that we take a stand. We see the wider picture. We realize that there's more than one truth. In Jainism, we call that anikantavad. That is, truth is relative. Truth comes from many perspectives. So I think for all of us, being courageous means that we don't always have to be right. We just have to stand in our soul nature. And our soul nature is necessarily its oneness. So when we stand in oneness, we essentially can see all perspectives without getting threatened, right? And that's really what we need to do, in my opinion. <laughs> no, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And then the last question we always ask, um, aside from your own, if there are any books that have been particularly inspirational to you throughout your journey, and it can be on any topic, um, anything. <laughs> oh, you bet. Well, let's see. I usually have a stack of like eight books on uh, by my by my bed at any time. And I was grateful to know that many of my friends are the same because I thought I was the only crazy person that did that. Uh, so the ones that really have stuck with me throughout time, one that really blew my mind, but is was still very formative for me, which was uh, Autobiography of a Yogi by Parahansa Yogananda. That's just a wild book. If you really want to understand what it is to be human, what the capacities are for consciousness, that's quite amazing. Um, the other books that I have been growing to really enjoy are certain books on the divine feminine by uh, Dr. Kavitha Chanayan. She's written a book called Shakti Rising. And of course, Sally Kempton's book on the divine feminine um, is, a, is a wonderful book as well. Those are great. Um, there are other non-duality type books that I love. One is called I Am That. Um, that's a beautiful one as well. And then an upcoming book that I'm excited about is going to be published by my friend Lissa Rankin by the same publisher that my book is coming out with, uh, Sounds True. Um, Lissa is wonderful and she's written lots of really great books, but her book, Sacred Medicine, is going to kind of cover some of these fabulous stories and adventures of healing. And that's going to be coming out in the spring of next year. So I just finished reading that to give her an endorsement and um, it was a really fun read. Thank you. Those are good recommendations. So thank you so much, Shamini, for joining us today. If anyone wants to find you, buy your book, follow your work, where can they do that on the internet? You bet. So a couple of websites. The easiest, because I know my name is kind of hard to remember and spell, if you want to get to my book page, and that'll take you to my website too, just go to healingourselvesbook.com. So that's all one word, healingourselvesbook.com. For those of you who are interested in the work of our nonprofit, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, we have free webinars every month with leaders in the healing space, both scientists and healing practitioners. We have Ask Me Anything sessions. We have a lot of really awesome free content for everybody. Um, the easiest way to do that is to go to www.healingourselvesbook.com. C-H-I, or Chi, for Consciousness and Healing Initiative, dot I-S. So www.chi.is. Or you can go to webinarsonhealing.com, and it'll take you to that page, too. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us today and for sharing all your knowledge with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure, ladies. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. 
subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.